welcome to the Profiting from Data podcast. This episode features an interview with Jason Hill, Chief Revenue Officer of Factius. Factius is a financial data provider within the consumer transaction category of alternative data. Jason came to Factius with over 20 years of experience in the financial technology industry and represents the perspective of how data providers view the alternative data industry. In this episode, Jason discusses corporate, private equity, and buy-side applications of alternative data and emerging use trends. He also reviews use cases on stimulus spending resulting from the pandemic and top predictions for 2021, including broader usage of external data in the corporate market. Please enjoy this dialogue between Jason and your host, Emmett Kilduff. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Emmett. Nice to be here. So how did you end up in the old data space? You were a fintech guy for quite a while, right? Yeah, I've actually you know, really spent my, my whole career in financial technology. It was fairly interesting. I, I, you know, I was just good friends with a board member of a company called Arm Insight. And Arm Insight had uh, decided to move into externally monetizing uh, data that it had from its banking partners. And the uh, board member reached out to me and thought it'd be something I'd be interested in. And they recruited me to come help them figure out how to monetize the data from those banking partners that wanted to be a part of this panel they were putting together. And so your your past experience was focused on go-to-market revenue generation. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. So I'd really grown up in online banking space, uh, online payments, mobile payments, uh, then the online lending space, and really, you know, for 15, 20 years, been leading sales teams, marketing teams, account management. So all the, the revenue generation side of the business. And have you found that it's very different selling into corporates versus private equity versus hedge funds? Very, yeah, yes. I would say they're very different markets. Yeah, so we've actually spent quite a bit of time over the last four and a half years looking at different verticals and trying to understand the needs that would exist in those verticals and how they may want to consume data. And really, at the end of the day, you're trying to find, like, what's the need, right? What problem could data help them solve? They're all very different. You know, the hedge fund market is one we spend a lot of time in, but hedge funds are obviously looking for alpha and looking for benefit that will help them trade. Corporates, you know, there's a lot of different use cases, right? It could be advertising is a big one, could be competitive analysis, could be helping them be more prepared for their investor relation calls. So there's just lots of different needs in the corporate environment. Well, let's jump into that. Three, three, the very different departments you mentioned there, advertising, competitive intelligence, investor relations. Um, Could you give more color for each of those uh, types of things that they're using your data for? Yeah, so I would say, that, like, even to back out from there, I would say there's, if you think about corporates, it's a very broad category. But what I've really found is it's a, it's a very, you know, broad level of sophistication around external data that you'll find with corporates. You certainly have the big tech companies that you would expect to be very uh, sophisticated, and they are. They know how to use data. They know what kind of data they are looking for. And those conversations quickly move to, you know, tell me what's in your data and they know how to use it. But then there's a, you know, just a really broad group of companies that may or may not understand how to use the data. So we tend to focus on those who have got some sense of how to use it. And within those, you know, the first use case where they're more actively seeking data is actually going to come from 
the ad tech world. Like the advertising departments are looking for data and there's all kinds of use cases. The most obvious is targeting, but you can do things like measurement of ads. Uh, they can do things like measurement of competitor ads. They can do things like trying to understand markets they may not be hitting so they can design advertisements that would hit that market. That's a fairly sophisticated group of buyers. They use data today. The next group would be the marketing group. So those people who are interested in competitive insights, so understanding market share, understanding trends, maybe by demographic group, geographic group, you know, those kinds of things tend to be a little less sophisticated than the advertising group, but they have a need. They definitely, they, they have a strong need to understand, you know, these dynamics and consumer behavior. The investor relations group is, is somewhat new, I think, to data. They're, interestingly enough, my sense is they're mostly driven to wanting to understand what investors understand about them. So they are looking for the data to help them be as educated as uh, some of the funds or investors who are sitting on the other side of the quarterly earnings calls. Yeah, on that, um, it's they don't like being at a roadshow meeting when their management are asked questions about, you know, or have an angle on their business that they that they don't themselves. As you know, there's a great quote from one of our clients saying that alt data allows them to get inside the boardroom and effectively see what's being discussed at board meetings, which is quite terrifying from an investor relations officer's it, perspective. It is, and especially if they're flat footed, right? If the investors know more than they do about you know, it's generally going to be around cases that are outside of the company itself, right? So, the, you know, all these companies, they have a vast amount of data about their own business. But what they generally don't understand is how they fit within their marketplace or how their competitors are doing with certain markets or demographics. And so those sorts of questions can leave an investor relations person sort of flat-footed, um, which, of course, they don't like being. Yeah. And going back to the advertising department, I mean, advertising in the end those types of people want to advertise it to individuals and that can create a bit of tension with from a data provider perspective because of PII personally identifiable information and so on how, how does that tension get rectified so you're you're absolutely right the use case that they really want is one to one marketing and digital marketing makes that possible so you know they are looking for data that would help them target specific individuals and then they there's ways of then combining that to target to a browser or a mobile phone or you know make a, a one-to-one offer to sue a person it's very effective it's you know as far as marketing budget spend goes it's a much more effective way of using those dollars than sort of old school broad-based marketing but the tension you're speaking of is really gets down to how comfortable is the data seller in allowing their customers to be targeted based on their data. We've actually decided as a company, we don't, we don't do that. We've stayed away from that use case, mostly because our businesses, we partner with you know, banks and financial institutions, and they obviously have you know, regulatory as well as just sort of like business concerns about sharing data in that level. We actually just don't engage there, but, but it is a rather large market. So for companies that do want to maximize their revenue potential of their data, there are plenty of opportunities there to go sell that kind of road level down to an actual consumer data to that advertising technology world. And if you're in discussions with those types of firms, if you come up one level to an aggregated 
level or, or basket level, does that interest those types of clients? Sure. Yeah, there's ways of doing it, right? There's ways of taking it away from, like a, a simple example would be maybe rather than just one-to-one marketing, maybe you group people together in some category that makes sense. Let's say like a census block in the U.S. That's a you know, small category of people based on where they live. So you could group people into those small categories and then still sell data in that way. So now you're no longer selling an actual person, but you're selling you know a smaller group. It's somewhat less valuable uh, as far as what you would expect to be paid for data like that, but it is still you know useful and there's still this value. And are there other departments and corporates that you engage with outside those three that you mentioned? You know, some of the more sophisticated corporates uh, have data groups now. It's really an interesting world. You see a real, you know, dichotomy of sophistication. The ones who have gotten into data have tend to get more into data. And so we're seeing, you know, some of these who could be customers of ours already, that they actually are investing in pretty big data groups. And so we've you know, we've shifted from our first conversations may have been with a marketing person to now we spend most of our time talking to a data person who has data scientists and data engineers and a data budget. And that's who we're dealing with now. Yeah, it's encouraging to hear. And hopefully all corporates will be following the same path in time. It'll take time. but So moving to the private equity vertical, are PE firms using your data for deal origination or is it mainly due diligence or I'd love to get some examples from you, please. Yeah, I mean, so private equity is, you know, it's just a totally different use case. You've mentioned the top two use cases that we've engaged with. So, you know, from a private equity, their perspective of the data world is, you know, they may be looking at a particular deal. And as you mentioned, doing diligence, like they may want to understand not just the data they can get from that company, which is what, you know, that company will provide as a course of, you know, getting the financing, but they may want to look for outside data to help understand a much broader view of that market. Could be, I don't know, you're investing in some small quick serve restaurant. That quick serve restaurant can provide you detail of how their business is, but that private equity firm may now start to look for external data sets to understand, okay, well, how are they fitting into their larger market? And they can look at geography, they can look at competitors, you know, those sorts of things. That's the due diligence case. Um, I would say that's more emerging. I think there are a couple big private equity players that are pretty good at this. And I think there is a growing number of private equity companies getting into it. The idea generation side tends to be private equity guys looking for investments, right? So they're just, they're looking at data to try and help them come up with, you know, different thesis or, you know, different ideas that they may want to go explore. And so, you know, it's a different use case, right? So they're not looking for just a really targeted piece of data or, you know, like a number of companies. They're going to be looking at, hey, I need a tool that gives me sort of a, a way to go explore data or, you know, markets. Are there specific examples where you've really successfully helped a PE firm either in due diligence, negative or positive in terms of, you know, uh, helping them want to do a deal or not to do a deal and are sourcing an interesting acquisition target uh, clearly on a no-names basis but are there any any examples you can discuss yeah i mean i can't get down to you know like actual names you know this we obviously have confidentiality around that but the you know we've, we have worked with a few of the private equity companies 
a lot of the stuff we have done have been sort of more like regional plays like the, you know, maybe they're looking at, you know, picking up a regional player in, you know, X market and they want to understand what's going on in those markets. So let's just say, you know, they're looking at buying again, I'll say quick serve restaurant chain that's maybe in, you know, the Northeast. They may want to understand just that geography, right? Help me understand quick serve restaurants in the Northeast. And so we can help them by providing a cut of the data that just covers just that, right? So just quick serve restaurants in that geography. Some of them, the bigger ones, will have the data scientists to actually go then do the work to see what's going on. But I would say the broader market of private equity investors need help with that. So there is a need for companies that want to do the bespoke work of analyzing the data and, and helping them actually get to the insights. If we move to the buy side, is the buy side the largest vertical for Factius before we jump into examples? It is. Yeah. Yeah. The buy side is, you know, we have really found it to be the market that's the furthest along in maturity as far as adoption of a you know, alternative data, it's still growing. Um, we see more and more buy side firms getting into data uh, all the time. So we're still seeing a lot of growth, just a number of firms getting in and also just use cases uh, within that. So, you know, you, we're seeing growth within, you know, quantitative funds. There are more and more quant funds. They obviously have pretty large appetite for data. Fundamental funds tend to see, you know, you know more and more of them getting into alternative data. But it is kind of interesting, you know, if you're if you're a new person getting into monetizing your data, you know, the two, a fundamental fund and a quantitative fund, they're very different. They're almost their own categories uh, as far as how they want to talk to you, what they want from the data, how, you know, how they're going to use the data, et cetera. And what are the typical use cases? I mean, sometimes the alternative data can get a bad name because people just think about consumer transaction data sets for the sole purpose of predicting next quarter earnings for Netflix. I assume you're seeing a bit more sophisticated use cases than that uh, from the discretionary clients? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are. So I think, you know, if we even just look at what's happening right now, right, the pandemic and the effects that's had on consumer spending have driven all kinds of use cases that are much broader than just calling quarters. I would say the calling quarters is a sort of, look, it's still there and there's still people doing it. But the, so for example, you know, stimulus spending, like one thing about our data is we actually saw like, what we have a pretty sizable population that actually received, you know, US stimulus and we could see those deposits and then we could see how that was spent. Well, there were a number of investors who were pretty interested in how was that spent, right? So what happened and, and how did that affect the economy and what will happen if there's another one? Yeah. And so it's not, it's not really a calling quarters analysis, but it's definitely a, hey, we're trying to understand the changes in consumer behavior and how those are going to drive the broader you know, market. And so um, we are seeing those kinds of use cases. And you know, the quants are obviously keen on on good history and breadth. Can you remind me and uh, explain to the audience how your data set looks from that perspective? That's absolutely true, right? So quantitative funds are going to want as much history as you can provide, right? So, you know, they would like 10 years or, or plus, you know, more. From our perspective, you know, we work with financial institutions and, and uh, you know, fintech companies who have data. And so when we're partnering with them, we try to get as much as 
possible. We have a few different panels. One of the one of the panels has about nine years of history. Uh, the other has about four and a half years of history. It's been fairly interesting, you know. So quantitative funds have always wanted really long history to help you know inform their algorithms. This year has been a difference. Um, I would say the uh, the pandemic has really made quantitative investing, I think, more difficult. And I, you know, what what I tend to see is the quant funds. You know, yes, history still very important, but this year's it's been a, a a game changer, I think, for for how they're using the data. A lot of times, less so in the last one to two years, but prior to that, I at uh, conferences and various uh, events I would attend, I would always get asked the question, is there any alpha left in alternative data? And my tongue-in-cheek response uh, has always been, is there any alpha left in traditional data? Because if there isn't, then what's everyone doing on Wall Street, uh, or or outside Wall Street in corporates? Um, So a question to you is, uh, do you get asked that? Uh, do, Do you see much alpha decay when people use your data? If there's too many clients using Factious data, does that mean that it's commoditized and there's less alpha opportunity? Well, I mean, a few questions in there. So in the broad sense, do I think that there's, you know, no alpha left in alternative data? No, I don't I don't believe that at all. Right. There's still all kinds of opportunities for data to find alpha. There's just all kinds of data that the market hasn't seen or that, you know, hasn't hasn't been brought to market that I think there's tons of opportunities there. Yeah, there is some truth to, you know, if you have a thousand funds all buying the same data set, like, you know, they all find the same alpha, there is some decay. I don't think we're there yet. I mean, I, I still think there's, you know, there's there's alpha left. Funds are still buying a lot of data. I don't see that stopping. And to your, your last point about, you know, will it just go away? I don't foresee that happening, right? I mean, you still... The funds are going to need, uh, they're going to need insights. They don't want to be uh, the only one who doesn't understand something everyone else does. Yeah, I think at some point it becomes a defensive purchase. I think we're a long way away from there. But um, Yeah, I mean, that would be a much more mature market, right? As far as in the business cycle, we're not near that point of heading into the defensive market. But at some point, sure. Yeah, I think it's at least three to five years away. And so there's 26 categories of alternative data in our taxonomy. In fact, it sits within consumer transaction data. It's clearly a very, very popular category. It's got competitive in the US over the years. How would you say you guys differentiate versus the competition? Look, that's absolutely true. I mean, transaction data is is very useful. And it's somewhat self-evident why, right? You actually see where people are spending money. It's very easy to use that data to understand how it affects the underlying business drivers of companies. It has become more competitive. You know, when we first entered the transaction data market, you know, four years ago, four plus years ago, uh, it was definitely less so. So there is a need to differentiate yourself, right? You don't, you can't just be the same thing as everyone else. So from our our focus is we put together our new panels. We put together two panels in the last couple of years. The point was actually to differentiate them. And so we did we did that by thinking about, you know, what 
areas of the market are not being included in the current transaction panels. And so, you know, our focus was, you know, going after geographic or demographic holes that may not be well represented. You know, so for example, you know, geographic coverage, like, you know, there's a need to understand all 50 states. And so, you know, I'm talking, of course, from a U.S. perspective. So, you know, we wanted to have a panel that was geographically well represented. Um, but then on the demographic side, there were there were also opportunities to, you know, highlight some areas of the consumer market that, that weren't well covered. So, you know, for example, millennials, we have a very large concentration of, you know, millennials to, you know, more progressive Gen X consumers and their spending behaviors versus uh, some of the other panels. Um, we've also added a number of cards that help provide insights to uh, lower income demographics, which in the U.S., there's, you know, roughly 20% of the population is what they call underbanked. And so we are trying to provide some insights on the underbanked populations. So with your data set, um, Jason, what's the best use case you've seen over the years? The best use case? So broadly speaking, if I just, you know, to step back from even just hedge funds, I would say the pandemic and, and, and the use cases surrounding the changes that, you know, the lockdown and the changes in, you know, people's employment, there's just been a ton of really interesting use cases we've seen, you know, for example, we now have several Fed banks uh, and several you know, departments of the government who are buying data from us, and they're trying to understand things like you know, stimulus spending, right? So when they do, you know, when the government basically doles out stimulus, does it work? And where does that money go? You know, we've seen a lot of those use cases. I personally find them pretty fascinating. You, know, you you talk to these economists and these sort of guys who are doing these studies, and it's really interesting to understand their end goal, which is really, look, is this working, and uh, and is it affecting what we want it to? It's quite impactful, yeah. Helping helping them really understand if it's working or not. Yeah, absolutely. And so we've seen those Fed banks. We've also worked with a number of universities who are doing studies along the same lines. Yeah, I mean, it's been a very, I, I mean, fascinating year in data. Quite frankly, I think we've seen more data buyers than we've ever talked to. Um, lots of different segments of the market that we weren't engaged with that have really all of a sudden actively been looking for answers and uh, and looking to data to help provide those answers. And as we look ahead, um, what are your top predictions for the for the data space? Yeah, it's a good question. My crystal ball. You know, in the U.S., I think it's likely we're going to see probably more focus back to regulation on data. I think that conversation uh, got really paused because of the pandemic. I think with, you know, the likely changes in our government, we'll, we'll probably see a little more focus there. Personally, like our company, we think that's a good thing. I mean, if you think about the broader future for alternative data, alternative data can't successfully exist if it's sneaking data out the back door without consumers feeling comfortable that they're doing it. And so, you know, we fall into a category of company that we think it should be regulated, right? We think, you know, consumers should be aware of what's going on and that data should be, it should be a bit more in the open. So I think that's just for the greater good of all of us who are in the alternative data space. Agreed. I, th I, think, I think more regulation is probably the first 
The second is I think there's just going to be broader usage. I feel pretty optimistic about, you know, we talked about the corporates a bit earlier. You know, there's a ton of opportunity for growth within that market. As somebody who's been talking to corporates for the last four years about using data, I would say it's a very small percentage of them that are effectively doing so. And so there's a big opportunity there. I think there are other markets like consulting. There are verticals within what we call corporates that are becoming more sophisticated all the time, you know, entertainment and gaming and, you know, some of these that are really taking off to understand data. I, th I think there's going to be more that follow. Excellent. Jason, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Emmett. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap for this episode of Profiting from Data. Thank you for listening. This podcast series is brought to you by Eagle Alpha, the pioneer in alternative data. To learn about Eagle Alpha's solutions for data vendors and buyers, please visit eaglealpha.com.